The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. It's actually a large chunk, so feel free to follow along in your pew Bible, but if you would also like to just listen, that's also one other way to engage in the reading of Scripture. So hear the word of the Lord. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And he asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. And moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And while he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? while he was opening the scriptures to us. That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together, and they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Well, I love this story because as I, there's so many different ways to read it, but one of the things that you know that I've been doing a lot of reading about is about the, um, the work that different research organizations are doing around young people within the context of the church. And I love this story because this is one of the first stories that we have about the disillusioned generation that has given up on faith and religion, right? We have Cleopas, and Cleopas is the saint of the nuns. We don't know what other disciples are with him. They are, in fact, not named in this story. We know that he's walking with a group of people. We don't know why they're leaving Jerusalem, but we do know that they are on their way out. They're leaving. And they're headed, in fact, seven miles away. And as we know, seven miles in first century standard is not a short journey. It's getting the heck out of Jerusalem which is what they're trying to do, to get away from the bustle and the energy of the city, which is something that at this point they just want to leave. So they're on the road to Emmaus. And what else do we learn about this little group of disciples? We learn that as they're walking, that they in fact are still talking about what happened in Jerusalem. So even as they are leaving, Even as they are on their way out, their minds are still processing and reflecting what they had just seen and witnessed in Jerusalem. And then Jesus shows up, but not in the way that they expect. And, you know, as we've walked through this season of Eastertide, we've seen this happen over and over and over again, right? Jesus comes along and nobody knows it's him. That's the one thing that you can be guaranteed of throughout Eastertide. He comes and we have no idea, which is ironic, right? Because after we celebrate the story of Easter, we would sort of assume that there we go into this triumphant story of resurrection where everybody knows who he is. But in fact, it's just the opposite. He's raised and then nobody knows. Right? So here he is alongside this group that's walking the road to Emmaus. And what does Jesus do? He asks them a question. He asks them a question. And his question is sort of that master of the obvious question. I try to find questions like this so that I can interact with my neighbors. In fact, I had a neighbor that I met this week, and I realized you have to grab your moment in Seattle because now it's May. People are outside doing their yard work. Grab your moment. It's going to go away in October. You won't see them for the next six months, right? (laughs) But now it's May, so grab it. So so I tried it this week, and you guys know I'm an introvert, right? That's my sort of Myers-Briggs thing. But I'm really trying to turn over a new leaf, get out of that mode. So there's a woman coming out of her house, and I grab my moment, master of the obvious. Do you live here? That was my question. Okay, it's a dumb question. Okay, and Jesus asked that. What are you talking about as you walk along? It's a dumb question. Okay? Dumb in the sense that it's sort of master of the obvious, right? And that's what Cleopas gets at. He says, don't you know? You know, and, and the woman says, yeah, I live here. You know? 
But it's that how do you come alongside, right? How do you enter in to that person's story? So friends, these are the disciples that are headed on their way out of this community of faith, okay? And as they are leaving Jerusalem, they are headed out, still trying to discern that fact from fiction, and Jesus enters into their story by asking them a question. What are you talking about? And I love this, and I want us to hang on to it, because the first missionary model that Jesus offers us is to ask questions. And what we should notice from this text is it doesn't matter how good the questions are. The first question was, what are you talking about? And then what was the second one? What things, right? What are you talking about and what things? Okay, that's the first missionary model that we see Jesus use as he's coming alongside the folks who are on their way out. For Cleopas and his group, they need somebody to walk alongside them in their exodus. In their exodus. They needed somebody who was not going to beckon them back to Jerusalem. In fact, by the end of the story, what do they do? They make that decision on their own, right? But in the beginning, when this conversation happens, Jesus doesn't try to draw them back into the community of faith. Jesus doesn't try to draw them back into the world of Jerusalem. Instead, Jesus comes alongside them in their leaving and says, what are you talking about? And as we learn through this disciple Cleopas, that leaving the community of faith, and we've all had friends that have left the community of faith, right? Leaving the community of faith doesn't mean leaving your questions behind. It doesn't mean leaving your longings and your hopes and your history behind. We learned that from Cleopas, right? They're on their way out. They're still talking about it. They can't make sense of it. But it's still in them. They've got something that they kind of need to process. And what, in fact, do we learn from this group of disciples? It means that Why are they on their way out? Well, friends, I think that they are on their way out because they have finally reached that breaking point where they cannot hold all the pieces of the story together anymore. And that's what happens to Cleopas. It's what happens to our friends that leave the church. It's what happens to our younger generation who are called not by themselves, by the way, the nuns. That's a title that researchers give them, unfortunately. They know the story of Jesus. They hear the story of the resurrection. They even mention the women. This is now going back to Cleopas and his group. And they know that there are some others that see him. But at the end of the day, what do they say? They say, he wasn't there and we didn't see him. So they cannot hold the story together for themselves. 
just not adding up anymore. And in fact, we all know what that feeling is like. To be in that situation where the stories that you've heard or the community of faith is just not adding up in the way that you hoped that it would. And you can't stick around anymore. In fact, in order to kind of hold yourself together, you've got to take that road out. Right? But what does Jesus do? You see, here's the good news. He is not threatened by this group of folks who need to get out in order to hold on to their own authenticity. That doesn't scare him. What does Jesus do? Instead, he comes alongside, asks them the questions, and then he does something that's quite radical. He offers them a new narrative. He offers them a new narrative. You see, he suddenly engages their story in such a way that their questions that they are asking are now connected with their history and their experience. The text doesn't say that exactly, but what the text does tell us is this, is that what he did is that he interpreted, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in the scriptures. So see, he doesn't deviate from the narrative, but what he does is he holds the narrative and then engages it in what they actually understand to be their own questions. He builds a bridge. They couldn't have done that on their own. And then this becomes electrifying for them. They don't want him to go away. They talk to each other, and then they use this phrase, our hearts were burning within us while he explained the scriptures to us. I love that verse because what it says is not that they needed to leave the scriptures behind. What it says is that they needed to understand the scriptures within their own context and in the space of their own story. You see, they weren't going to make sense of the scriptures in Jerusalem. They needed to hear them on the road. And that's where Jesus comes and shares this interpretation. You see, ironically, what are the things that we might have guessed in the course of this story? For those who are exiting or in a mass exodus from the community of faith, we might have run the risk of assuming that, in fact, the scriptures were sort of meaningless or had no connection. That, in fact, maybe they needed to leave those behind. But what we learn in the text is that the opposite is true that the scriptures were even more important to those on the outskirts, not less. That the scriptures were more important to those on the road, and not less. That the scriptures are more important for those who are leaving, and not less. 
But there's one very important word here that we need not miss in order to make sense of that. Because this particular group that was headed down the road needed one thing. And I'm not sure if you caught what that word was. Interpret. They needed an interpreter. They had to have it interpreted. I want to offer just a brief word study on that word interpret. The the word that Luke gives us is two words put together. It's called dia hermeneuto. Okay? It's where we get the word hermeneutic. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that word before. It's okay if you haven't. Yeah, Hermeneutic uh, is a word that's used in, um, in sort of narrative reading, which, uh, which um, sort of is a way of talking about the, the biases that we have as we come to a text, the way that we see things through our own eyes. That's the way in which that word is used now. But how that word was used in the first century it just meant translate. Right? So we see it other places in scripture where um, the gospel writer will tell us who was this person, the disciple's name was Cephas, and then we see which also means Peter. That word is just hermeneuo, Cephas, hermeneuo, Peter. It means the guy was Cephas, we call him Peter. Okay? So it means translate, that's all I'm trying to say there. But Luke puts another word in front of it, dia. Okay, you guys know that word diagram, right, diameter, right, we use that word all the time, we've got a lot of English words that include this Greek prefix, prefix. and it means across, or to the other side, right, so what Luke is saying is that Jesus interpreted, he got the message to the other side, He actually landed the message on the other side of the road. And that's what it means to interpret. You see, not just to translate, but to get the message to the other side of the road. And once Jesus hands them this new interpretation, this new narrative, they change. They turn back to Jerusalem, they join the community of faith, they share their own story and their questions about what it was like to encounter this person that they met along the road. Friends, we live in a culture, in a time, where we have to start thinking about what it means to get the message to the other side of the road. Right? Because the scriptures are more important, not less, for those who are outside the community of faith. But how do we get the message of the gospel to the other side of the road? It doesn't just happen. It needs an interpreter, not a translator. See, there's a difference between translation and interpretation. And the commissioning, the mandate, the challenge that we have out of this text is that we are invited not to be translators, but interpreters. Dia hermanuo. I want to close with this one story. 
This is not my own personal story. I heard this through a friend who worked with John Perkins, who was the founder of the Perkins Center of Reconciliation that was housed at Seattle Pacific University. And in the course of John Perkins' work, he encountered a lot of people who disagreed with him, who maybe didn't want to be engaged in the work that he was doing, or who didn't understand it. It wasn't interpreted for them, right? Did the, the message didn't make it to the other side of the road in a way in which they were able to make sense of it. And so John Perkins knew this one particular woman who was definitely not really in his court, and he knew that somehow this was a woman that he needed to connect with. And so he heard sort of through the grapevine that this was a person who liked to make pie. And so the next time he saw her, he didn't talk about anything else. He asked that one question, do you like pie? Right? Do you live here? What things? What are you talking about? Okay. Do you like pie? She said, yeah, I like pie. Okay. All right, do you want to make pie together? Well, who asks you that? So he's, the woman's like, okay, I guess we'll make pie together. It's weird, but all right. So they got together into this kitchen, and they started talking pie crusts. You know, like, which recipe do you use? He actually was a great pie maker, by the way. I didn't know that about him. So started talking pie crusts, started talking how you roll it out, what you do with the butter, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, few pies into this story, they have a conversation about the different sides that they're kind of coming from. And through this event of making pie together, this woman ends up becoming one of the strongest advocates for Dr. Perkins. You see, that is getting the message to the other side of the road. And it comes with a question. Sometimes the hardest question to find is the most obvious question there is. Do you like pie? What are you talking about? What things in Jerusalem? Friends, that's the model that we have before us today. Not to be afraid of our questions, but to enter into them. Not to disengage from those who are on their way out of the story and faith of faith, but actually to engage deeper, to become interpreters. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that by the power of your spirit that you would empower us to get the message to the other side of the road in an authentic way, in such a way that it makes sense. Not so that we are proselytizing, but so that we are offering hope. And we all recognize how desperately this world needs hope. Let us be messengers of your gospel and messengers of hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. Amen.